control the guns, and control the spoons. That and more today on The Grid. The Grid, a digital frontier. I pictured patriots as they moved throughout our country. Do they look like individuals or small business? Were the rallies like church? I keep dreaming of a world I hope to one day see. And then, today, I got in. Hello, fellow Americans. This is Chris Coleman, your host with the Kingdom Patriot Group. Welcome to The Grid, where faith, politics, and commerce intersect. Sean Griffin here with the Kingdom Patriot Group and co-host of The Grid with Chris Coleman. We have a vision to restore America to her foundational principles. To help you do your part to restore the country, is there a particular topic we could cover that you would find helpful? If so, email us at admin at kingdompatriot.us. That's admin at kingdompatriot.us. We'd love to hear from you today. The sound quality of the following news and review segment does not meet, live up to, comply, or reflect the audio standards of the grid. But we love Chris's color commentary so much, and the fact that he is reporting from the road, we chose to leave it in. This has been an audio disclaimer from Studio B of the grid. Now, Chris Coleman. Welcome to this week's News and Review. Today I'm mobile as I'm on the road to the northernmost part of Minnesota, headed to the Boundary Waters canoe area. But even on the road, I'm still thinking of you, my fellow Americans, patriots, and believers. Now lately, it's pretty common that there's way more news than time to comment, and that's no less true today. Nonetheless, let's dive in. So first and foremost, June is Pride Month. Now normally, I wouldn't be calling out the latest example of an extreme cultural push. But it really got me to thinking, shouldn't every month be Pride Month? Shouldn't every day of the year be a day to reflect on Pride? Of course, I'm not suggesting the secular culture version of Pride. I'm talking about what Scripture says about Pride. And I assure you, Jesus has a monopoly on the truth about Pride way before it was co-opted by the far left. As we read the Scripture, two things come to mind. Pride comes before destruction. And secondly, the Lord opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Did you know that some translate opposes to actually mean wage war against? When we walk in pride, we are literally saying that we are willing to step into that place, into that situation where the Lord makes war against us. Is that what we really want? Is that really the wisest position? Let's humble ourselves before God. Yes, let's love our friends and neighbors, but to meditate and reflect on God's word and what it says about pride, not some silly month that someone has stolen for their agenda. Now that pride is out of the way, let's focus on what else is in the news. Because vitriol and hateful speech is at an all-time low, we share that Breitbart is reporting that the left salon has now labeled the GOP as the world's largest white supremacist organization. Like I said, clearly things are calming down. Also in the news, Biden's governance of disinformation, a.k.a. the Ministry of Truth, it was put on pause because of the public pushback. It turns out that the publicly stated purpose of battling foreign disinformation and half-truths turned out to be, well, just ground cover for what was really going on. As the hearings have continued, it turns out that this Ministry of Truth was also specifically targeting theories related to 2020 stolen elections and vaccine naysayers. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that hits a little too close to home. These morons think that we don't really see what they're up to. Biden's transgender blackmail threatens low American, as Fox News was reporting. 
the U.S. Department of Agriculture has plenty to worry about, which actually makes this campaign pitting transgender policies against food security even more baffling. What it basically is requiring is that individuals who are in farming must only do business with other organizations that have appropriate transgender policies in place. Now, this isn't actually surprising from one perspective, because we've seen this with a lot of presidents recently, especially Obama. What you can accomplish through legislation, you create with your pen and phone through executive action. It's not consistent with the separation of powers intended by our founding fathers, but that's where we are. And if you think I'm just being paranoid, how about this sweeping new executive action? According to the Gateway Pundit, Joe signed an executive order that promotes access to a gender-affirming care in schools and other institutions. But one of the most damning pieces of this action is that it, in effect, outlaws conversion therapy because it expands the definition that if you even caution a child against gender-affirming care or making a transition, that would be considered conversion therapy. Which is kind of ironic when you think about it, because if a child is biologically male and wants to be female, to take dangerous drugs and possibly even have surgical intervention, isn't that the true definition of attempted conversion? To convert from what you actually are to what you feel you should be? This is so screwed up. And finally, I cannot help but think of the president on this trip that I'm on. When I decided to travel my Toyota Prius instead of my more comfortable van because of the gas prices, I spent 58 freaking dollars to fill up my 11.5 gallon tank. Two years ago, I remarked that I filled up my Toyota Prius with only $19. Once again, thanks, Joe. But in continuation with fuel prices, here's a string of news that I'm now calling Connect the Dots. Dot one. In 2019, while running for president, Joe Biden claimed, I will end fossil fuels. Dot two, COVID hits, and there's a mandatory lockdown all over the U.S., all over the world, and the organic demand for fossil fuels is completely shut down. Dot three, consistent with Biden's declaration of ending fossil fuels, Biden uses the power of his office to ban oil leases and drilling on federal lands. Dot four, as Biden became president, he started spending like there's no tomorrow, and inflation began almost from day one of his presidency. Dot five, energy is a key component that is impacted by inflation. Not that I really need to tell you that. Dot six, with demand for oil equaling and in some places surpassing pre-COVID numbers, and with the available production stagnant because of bans for oil and drilling in federal lands and leases, oil companies cannot keep up with current demand. Thus, the increase in price. Dot seven, Russia invades Ukraine, and yes, this did nothing to stop the increase in the price of the pump. The price was already on a skyrocket trajectory prior to the invasion. Dot eight, Biden continues to be hammered on inflation and fuel prices, so he begins calling it the Putin price hike and Putin's gas hike. Dot nine, the false Putin blame doesn't stick, so Biden begins calling out the greedy oil companies, and he blames them for lack of production. And dot ten, well, all of this comes into play. A story just came out on Thursday's broadcast of the Fox News Business Network. Host Elizabeth McDonald pointed out that the Biden administration is fighting in federal courts to uphold Biden's ban on oil and gas leasing offshore and in public land, even as the president claims the oil industry has a duty to increase production. Such hypocrisy. Why, why do I connect these dots for you? Because this is going just as it's supposed to, just as they've planned. Jennifer Granholm is out there telling people to buy Teslas, which, by the way, if you want one, you're going to wait a year to get it anyway. But this administration is okay with the pain it's caused because there are committed radical environmental ideologues. The only reason Biden has taken his blaming posture as of late is because he knows it is absolutely killing him in the polls 
and his party. Politically, they are going to get shellacked. Do you remember the early 90s? It's the economy, stupid. Like I said, so much content, so little time. For this week's news and review, that's a wrap. Now to our topic. Is it about guns or control? Okay, we know that guns have about as much to do with murdering people as spoons and forks do and causing obesity. But the absurdity of it all, it has to be pointed out as often as we can. Sean, before we get into solutions, which will likely be in subsequent episodes, I think we first have to provide context about the gun debate. What do you think? Yeah, it amazes me how many people in government are talking about this and that, and they're using this term and that term. I was listening to a report this afternoon. Many of the folks that are the most adamant against guns know the least about them, but they're flinging around terminology like they know what they're talking about. So it would be helpful to set the stage and know what certain terms actually mean when it comes to this discussion. Absolutely. I appreciate you saying that. When, when I hear people describing assault weapons and things, I'm thinking, are you, are you kidding me? So why don't we just go back to what has really started all this debate? It wasn't Uvalde. It wasn't Columbine. What's really started this debate where we are today is actually 1776 in our Constitution with the Second Amendment. You know what the Second Amendment says? It says a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. That's where it started. Mm-hmm. I think it's good to point out that the Constitution allows us to keep and bear arms to protect ourselves from a tyrannical government. Yes. Uh, if you read some of the Federalist Papers, I think the overlying theme when it comes to the Second Amendment is not to protect ourselves from one another. It is to protect ourselves from the government. Yes. Just as you said. Sometime this past year, I heard somebody point out, I thought it was hilarious, it was like, when the Founding Fathers wrote the Constitution and they were writing about the Second Amendment, they hadn't just finished going hunting, they just finished a revolutionary war. Context matters. It sure does. As we read the Second Amendment, I think we can debate this all day long, back and forth with, with Democrats. But despite Biden's assertion that the Second Amendment isn't absolute, if you're a conservative Republican, you believe that individuals have the right to bear arms. And if you're a progressive liberal, you don't. It's pretty much that simple. So you know as a liberal, you can't eliminate guns right now. There's no appetite for that in our country, given how many people own firearms. So what do you do? You do the only thing you can do. You do the very best next thing, which is you control them. So that's really what I wanted to get in today, Sean, was what is gun control really all about? Is it really effective? Does it work? I think that's a smashing good way to get started. Did you know that there are multiple federal laws in the books regarding the ownership of firearms? Yes, I did know that part. There's the National Firearms Act of 1934, then in 1938, another bill in 1968, actually a couple of bills in 1968. Firearm Owners Protection Act of 1986, Undetectable Firearms 1988, Gun-Free School Zones in 1990. I mean, you just go on through this Brady Handgun Violence Prevention Act, 1993, Federal Assault Weapons Ban, 1994, it, ex- it, it did expire 10 years later, Law Enforcement Officer Safety Act, Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, 2005. 
if you go through this, you see that there are tons of laws on the books. These are the actual laws. That doesn't even speak to the regulations behind them in which you have to get background checks whenever you get a firearm. Did you realize there were so many laws on the books? Well, I knew that there were quite a few because from, especially when you start looking from state to state where you've got even more laws, you've got some states that are drowning in gun issues and they have the most laws, whereas you've got other states that have the fewest laws and they have the fewest gun problems. Yeah. It's, it's interesting as we look at this, the laws in the United States have only increased regarding firearms. The restrictions have only increased. And I have only read to you, again, the federal laws at the state level, at the local levels. Because for instance, in Washington, D.C., up until recently, you basically couldn't, no one can own a handgun unless you're a law enforcement officer. Yet the, the murder rate in D.C. at one time was the highest per capita in the United States. So we've seen these laws increase. And the question is, are they effective? So I wanted to dive in for just a minute before we take a break. Just what gun ownership looks like in the United States. There's, a, there's approximately 330 million people in the United States and almost 400 million firearms. Did you know that there were 400 million firearms in the United States? That's a lot of firearms. That's why China will not be doing a ground assault in the United States anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this equates about 1.2 guns per person. Now, I say that not everybody actually owns a gun. Only about 30 to 40 percent of the households in the United States actually own guns. And I can tell you that this statistic, just just laughing a little at this, but this statistic would be lower if we were not counting my dad and my uncle. They definitely bring the, the average up. <laughs> so, it, it, you know, this, this reminds me of a story that my dad told me about when he was in high school, especially during hunting season. And it was very common for people to go to, to go to school with their hunting rifles in the back of their pickup trucks. Uh, you, you remember those old racks that were right behind the, the headrests on the, on the bench seats and those old pickups? And it usually had two to three rifles just sitting up there. That's how my dad said they went to school. And why did they do that? Because after school was out, they would go straight to hunting. Oh, yeah. Yet, I don't remember stories of all these mass shootings existing in the history of our country, especially at schools. I think there was a general respect for life and the law that didn't allow that to happen. Well, when we first moved to uh, Texas, my, we moved here a few weeks before my freshman year, and you go in the student parking lot, which is huge, and you got to figure that it's Texas, so clearly at least a third of the vehicles in the parking lot are going to be pickups, and probably 20% of those had at least one gun in a rack. There they are, visible. You could probably, on any given day, count at least 15 and they were fine. And something else that you probably don't know in terms of me, I shot my first buck when I was 10, very first day of hunting, first hour. Now, my chore after school each day was to get my 44 Magnum rifle at 10 years old. Dad had a target practice table in a tree with a target. So before hunting season started and when school started, Every day when I came home from school and before he got home, so this is just me, I had to get my gun and I had to do at least five rounds, which is what the gun held. So I had target practice every day after school, unsupervised until hunting season. See, I grew up with guns. Yeah, I did not know about that, by the way. That, that was a surprise to me. Dad was a machinist. 
And so he had a federal firearms license. And so he was basically a gunsmith. If a, a gun was missing a part, especially if it was an old gun, he just made the new part. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, when we return, let's take a look at the Pew Research Center and what they have to say about some gun statistics. We'll be right back. Well, I would tell you about the Kingdom Patriot podcast, but you're already listening to The Grid as we speak. So instead, I ask you, are you sharing The Grid with your family, friends, and neighbors? Well, you should be. Otherwise, how do we grow our audience? Well, we do it by fine folks like you sharing The Grid on your social media, in your email, or in that ancient mode of communication known as face-to-face conversations. We love to hear about young men and women who are engaged and want to join our fight for faith and freedom. So today we have a quick shout out to Nolan Jankoviak. Nolan, we know you listen. We appreciate your support. Tell your friends that you were here today on The Grid. And remember to click that little like button on your podcast platform and make sure you are following us. Also, don't forget to go to kingdompatriot.us and put your name on our email subscriber list. And we're back. Okay, Sean, I, I wanted to share a little research that I did with the Pew Research Center because, and you have to take it for what it's worth. I mean, you know what they say, that there's lies, damn lies, and then there's statistics. But at the end of the day, I think it is important to hear some of the data when you hear all of this vitriol and this rancor. And there's going to be some shocking information here. First of all, I want to talk about in 2020, because that's, I think that's the most recent data. Did you know that there were 45,000 gun deaths in the United States? Mm, that's a pretty serious number. That is a serious number. Now, that's 45,000 gun deaths out of 400 million guns. So I want to make sure we understand that context. I did not say murders. That's really important. Do you know what the number one reason for the cause of a gun death is? Hit me. Suicide, not murder. 54% of all gun deaths are actually by suicide which we're going to talk about. I don't want to be snarky because this is a serious issue, but I can assure you that there's probably not a single suicide that's occurring with an AR-15. Yeah. Even though that is the debate that is going on today. Wow. The vast majority of gun incidents, and I repeat, the vast majority have nothing to do with a mass shooting of any kind. And see, that's what gets me. It's what, what is the term they're using? So many people get in front of a microphone, in front of a camera, and you have got to pay attention to the term that they are using. Because there's one party that has discovered that if you can't win verbally, change the definition of one of the words, and suddenly it sounds like you're in total agreement, but you're talking about something completely different. So you've got gun deaths here. It's important to know that you're talking, there's a difference between gun deaths and murder. And if somebody's not paying attention, they hear the term gun death, they might automatically think murder. That's, that's a huge distinction. I hate it when things are reframed. I also, you know, you pointed out, and I just got to throw it in here because we did do uh, a news alert. We talked about this a little bit, but Assault rifle. If I hear the word assault rifle one more time, that's what an AR-15 is. It's an assault rifle model 15. I think I'm going to pull my air out or worse. It is not an assault rifle. That is a political, that is a media, that is a inflammatory term used to describe a gun that yes, in, in it, how it looks, looks exactly like a military rifle. But AR stands for Armalite. That is the manufacturer and inventor of the AR-15 
as well as the M16. I just want to throw that out there because it matters. An AR-15 is a semi-automatic rifle. There are many semi-automatic rifles. That just happens to be the one that looks like a military rifle. But it's no different than any other semi-automatic. Okay, but even there, there's a distinction. Oh my gosh, semi-automatic. What does that actually mean? Because there's a difference between semi and actual full-out automatic. So what does it mean? Okay, yeah, I'm glad you asked that. So I'm just assuming that all our listeners heard our midweek news update, but let me, let me share that. A semi-automatic rifle means there is one trigger pull for every bullet fired. So if you have a round, a high-capacity magazine, as the left likes to jump on that, 30 rounds, that means you pulled that trigger 30 times for 30 shots. Now, that is different than a bolt-action rival or lever-action rival where you have to expel the cartridge and load a new cartridge in by the action of a bolt or a lever in order to fire around. So semi-automatic is much quicker. But even Bush- Bushmaster is a big manufacturer of AR-15s, of the model AR-15, and they would tell you that effective shooting in an AR-15 is about 45 rounds per minute. In a fully automatic rifle, the M16 that the military uses, what does that mean? One trigger pull and the gun keeps firing until you're out of ammo or you release the trigger. The rate that that gun fires is approximately 700 rounds or more per minute. So you tell me if there's a distinction. One trigger pull for each shot in a semi-automatic, the maximum 45 per minute, or a fully automatic weapon that you hold the trigger down and it can shoot 700 times per minute. To me, those are not the same rifle. No, they're not. But because people hear the word automatic... That's all they hear. I'm going to switch gears here for a second because you, you made a really important point, and that's kind of how we digressed into the description of an AR-15. Um, you made an important point that, that words matter and that it gets framed in gun death. So I want to talk to you about a mass shooting because that's the word that the media currently uses right now. Mm-hmm. So in this Pew research, the FBI collects data on what they call active shooter incidences, and they define that as one or more individuals actively engaged in killing or attempting to kill people in a populated area. So if you use that definition, 38 people died, not including the shooters, in such incidences in 2020. 45,222 gun deaths, 38 people died according to a mass shooting in 2020. Wow. So then if you use a different definition, there's what's called the gun violence archive. They do it a little differently. They say that they define mass shootings as instances in which four or more people are shot, even if no one was killed. Again, excluding the shooter. And those kinds, and I'm not sure how they break this out because they say 513 people died in 2020 because of that definition. So no matter what definition you, you use, 500 or less people died in mass shooting events out of 45,000 gun deaths in 2020. Now, I'm not discounting the individuals that lost their lives because that's a tragedy. I'm not arguing that. I'm arguing that the rancor, I'm arguing the vitriol, I'm arguing that this this disdain for the rule of law and the rights in our Constitution is centered around the smallest category of gun violence. It is. It's manipulation. Well, and I, I think it also speaks to, okay, does that mean that there's something else afoot here? I mean, it, it certainly makes me beg the question. Why does the Democratic Party, why does the, the progressive left get so fired up for school shootings in which 19 children are murdering? Yes, absolutely. It is a tragedy. But they don't show the same outrage when minorities are killing each other every week on the streets of Chicago. Honestly, I'm not being snarky. 
I'm being sincere when I ask that question. If we are banning weapons that look like assault rifles that saves the lives of 513 people, what about the other 45,000? Yes. So let's just keep going. The Pew Research, I mean, it's got good stuff. This is a statistic that ought to scare you in this conversation. Did you know that in 2020, Sean, 3% of all murders involved an AR-15 type of rifle, but handguns were involved in almost 60% of all gun murders. Mm. I'm going to pause there. Do you hear the left going after handguns or is it about the AR-15s? So if the Democrats are going after the 3% instead of the 59%, the question is why? Why are they doing that? Could it be that AR-15s are not the end goal, but handguns and ultimately all guns is really the goal? What do you think? They've got to start somewhere. And when it comes to the Second Amendment, you know, as we've talked about before, they've got to find a crack. If they can get a crack, then they can use that crack to widen things open and go after whatever they want to. But they've got to have a crack first. I agree. And it also seems to me that the gun that looks like an assault rifle is the big boogeyman because that one looks scary when you bring it out. They don't know that it's not an automatic, but it looks like one. So it's the boogeyman. Yeah, I agree. I think that that one is easy for them to go after politically. But I heard at some point that of all the guns in the United States, there's like 35 or 40 million AR-15. So, I mean, the general public likes to shoot these. It's fun for people to have. So I think the backlash is going to be swift and I think it's going to be strong. Agreed. But I do agree with you. I it's an easy political win to go after something that looks scary. But I think ultimately the proverbial wedge in the door applies in this situation. So as we talked about in our last episode, we are about faith, politics, and commerce. So let's take a look at this, this gun control issue from that perspective. When we return. You're listening to The Grid, a podcast production of the Kingdom Patriot Group. You can find us on the web at kingdompatriot.us. Join us in the fight for faith and freedom, Mondays, on your favorite podcast platform. When you think of how does faith play a part in this, do you have any thoughts that come to mind? Faith. Yes. What we have going on in the United States is called humanism. We've talked about this in the past, especially with the rise of Lord Fauci, uh, humanist of the air. Uh, we have humanism on the rise. When you kick God out of society, well, there's always got to be a God. That's just, it's a spiritual truth. What rises up in America and in a lot of countries these days in the modern era is going to be humanism. So humanism rises up. Man is not omnipotent. So he's not all powerful. He's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. And he's not all knowing. So man has got to reduce his world to something that's controllable. So humanism is on the rise, and humanism looks to government as its substitute God. So it looks to government to help us control things. You know, that's interesting you said that. I I had a counselor say to me the other day that what you fear, you control. And it's interesting that I think that's truth here, that 
you try to control those things that you fear. And it's clearly, this is not about creating reliance on God. This is creating reliance on man, creating reliance on government. And I think it's, it, it's so clear that this, this whole argument about gun control is so devoid is, is so separated from God. When in a tragedy like this, you've got multiple Democrats saying, F your prayers, F your prayers. When that's exactly who should we should be, we should be turning to. Yeah. We should be tur- turning to the Lord. We'll talk about more of the, more of that in coming episodes. But I, I think it's it's clear that that one group of folks wants us to turn to the government for peace and safety because they're fearful. Yet I think I think you you when we were preparing for this segment, you you mentioned how Scripture just tells us that people are going to cry for peace and safety, but it's it's going to be taken from them. Yeah, it's very clearly in Scripture, and we're there, except that it's going to get worse. Because that scripture talks about a season of time that we have not yet entered into. But something that just now occurred to me, the flip side of this F your prayers is we had, uh, what was it, The View? Somebody this past week is now trying to blame all this shooting stuff on Christian nationalism. I heard that. Thank you for taking it right out of my mouth because I couldn't say it myself. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I was outraged because we we spent we spent three episodes defining Christian nationalism and the view clearly, I'm sorry, not trying to take away your thunder, but the view clearly took the approach that if you're a Christian and you love your country, you're a Christian nationalist. And with F your prayers, they are also looking to blame Christians and Republicans for the lack of progress. Incredibly frustrating. So what is the political angle of this? Why do you think Democrats, why, I shouldn't say Democrats, because I'm, I'm sure there are Democrats who love the Lord. I just haven't met many lately. I, I shouldn't say that. that. That's a little rough. But I would say the progressive liberal. Why, why do they fear Americans having firearms? Are, are, are they planning a takeover biblical proportions? I, I, I literally don't get it. Help me understand. <laughs> well, they would like a takeover of biblical proportions, but it would be rather hypocritical of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So it's a good question. They they live a life in fear because what they do trust is not trustworthy. It just isn't trustworthy. But I guess I, th- I think maybe what I'm asking is, is that I, I know it's not trustworthy, but, you know, as my pastor challenged me, uh, it's challenged me more than once and, and our congregation. Why do we expect non-believers to behave as believers. And so the fact that they trust in something trustworthy doesn't, it doesn't surprise me. I think what I'm asking is, is this just a natural outflow of being void of God? Is this, is this a natural outflow of humanism or is there something darker and more sinister and more nefarious at play that there's actually purpose intent that's going on behind this? Oh, I totally believe that there is an agenda And like we were talking about the crack just a few minutes ago, if they can get rid of the weapons, then that opens the gate for tyranny to increase because then the citizenry of the United States can become like China or can become like pre-World War II Nazi Germany. And suddenly they're defenseless. The rise of tyranny is then break out the red carpet. One of the Star Wars movies, I just love it. And I'm sure she was probably quoting somebody, but when 
when the Chancellor Palpatine was given ultimate military power to squash the rebellion, Natalie Portman said, so this is how democracy dies with thundering applause. And I have thought about that. And it just sometimes I feel like that's what we're seeing. So real quick, uh, as, as we're starting to wrap up here, the, the commercial aspect of this, I did see a way that this kind of ties into some of the commercial. And it's just it's a huge overlap with the political, though. One thing that I, I see is that the progressive liberals go after these gun manufacturers. They don't like the fact that they're making money. They don't like the fact that historically they've had political power. They've had a strong lobby, which I, you know, the NRA certainly doesn't doesn't now, as you pointed out when we were discussing this, that the NRA is actually gone bankrupt. They've given very little money in the grand scheme of things. But I do think there is a political ploy here is if you can outlaw ammunition or restrict it, if you can outlaw guns, if you can restrict it, that ultimately you take a notch out of this industry. And if you do that, then you take a notch out of this industry's power to financially support Second Amendment loving congressmen and women. To me, that's a real danger here. I, as I see the left go after this industry, because they're not just going after the gun owners and saying, you can't have your AR-15s, you can't have this, you can't have that. But they're actually openly going after the industry. Reminds me a lot of how years and years ago, the federal government went after tobacco companies. And I'm not saying the tobacco companies did anything right, because they certainly were, were hiding statistics and the lung cancer was a problem. But at the end of the day, it was a legal product. But the government went after them with a hammer. The difference is they were hiding things. You know, the gun manufacturers, they're just making something that is really guaranteed by the Constitution and that many people love. And I just can't believe that we're going to sit back and allow the government to go after that. Okay, I'm, I'm done pontificating. Feel free to comment. <laughs> no, I do think that the commercial aspect of the whole thing is that commerce is being targeted. Again, they're looking for some angle. So if we can't get rid of the guns, well, then let's hold gun manufacturers responsible for anybody that dies in any kind of a shooting. Uh, number two, let's outlaw the clips because the clip isn't the whole gun, but that limits you. Or if that doesn't work, let's limit the ammunition. You know, so it's like there are different ways that you could do this. We're going to get rid of combustion engines by making gas so ridiculously expensive you're just going to have to do something else. Yeah, that's a really important point. One way that you flex your political muscle is you make the ability to engage in commerce so difficult or so challenging that you ultimately eliminate it without ever actually outlawing it. Right. Any final thoughts? It is a messy situation, but we've got to look at a number of different solutions and the reason I think we're coming to heads constantly on this issue is because we're in the end times and things are, are polarizing and it's not going to get any better with regard to that because things are being separated. And this is one clear way that we can see a distinction between the two parties that are not getting along. When I say two parties in this case, the two different worldviews when it comes to the violence and the guns. Yeah, I agree. And we really haven't gotten to solutions yet. We haven't even gotten necessarily to the cause yet. Today, we've just started peeling back the onion of what are these mass shootings? Do gun laws work? 
And I think we're finding that just, just in some of the research that we read today, that maybe what is portrayed and shaped in the media is not reflective of necessarily what reality is. I know that is shocking. Yeah. And today basically lays the foundation, exposes what are the elements that we're actually dealing with. And so next week we can focus more on what to do. Sounds great. It's been fun today. It has. I'm Sean Griffin. And I'm Chris Coleman. And we are Kingdom Kingdom Patriots. Patriots. Don't forget to visit our website at kingdompatriot.us to join the movement of faith and freedom. That's kingdompatriot.us. Join today so that together we can make a difference. Your membership is appreciated. Your input is valued. Your voice is needed. Oh,